our day. There's one thing that just always calms me down. Oh, God, what is it? I play Best Fiends, <laughs> and I love it. I have gotten so far, and there's so many levels, and just so much you can do with it. And I play it all the time in between phone calls, in between work meetings, when I'm grocery shopping, when I'm driving my car. And it's great because you can just always play it. And I love it. That's best fiends. That's best friends without Without the the R. R. I hope you appreciated that ad from our new sponsor. (laughs) Who will never sponsor us now. I would never. Okay. I, I do this. I make fun of this because every fucking podcast every fucking podcast if it's not the one for the um for-profit therapy sessions oh yes then it's best best fiends fiends. that's that's best friends without the r R. (laughs) like and i listen to these i'm like there's no fucking way you play best fiends no not at all there's no fucking way and nobody plays best fiends when you're when you're when you have downtime, let's say you act, you're you one of those fucking weirdos that has downtime. No, no. My favorite are the ones where they're like, well, I've had a lot of downtime for obvious reasons lately, a.k.a. COVID. I don't know what these obvious reasons are because I've never had them. Yeah. Okay? So, like, I'm pretty sure you're not just chilling. Playing a cell phone playing game. Best Fiends. It's, like, worse than Angry Birds. And they're all like, and I'm on... Level eleven hundred five, and I just you keep can going. Just, you can just play and not play whenever you want. No, that's how a game works. You fucking moron. <laughs> I'm like, don't play cell phone games, kids. And kids. also, it's it comes from podcast hosts that I know are better than that. Yes, that a you know don't actually play best means. Yeah. like maybe they did once or twice just because they're like, well, they're sponsoring us. Actually. <laughs> My big thing is I skip all the ads in in podcasts. I do, too. I'm sorry, everyone. I skip your ads. Yeah. I know that, like, quote, unquote, gives you money, but I don't want to listen to it. Technically, it's still a listen, so. Yeah, right? Like, you're still getting something from it. Exactly. Or something. I don't know. I'm not going to play Best Fiends. (laughs) This is my PSA, kids. Don't play cell phone games. They're ripoff and they're dumb. Yeah. Welcome to Rock Candy. <laughs> Where we bitch about everything. I guess so. Yeah. It's it's one of them days. Don't take it personal. Yeah. It's just, you know, we don't want to play best fans. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry for that very long intro, but we're your hosts. I'm Maggie. I'm Ashley. And yes, we've got another special sweet treat for Spoopy Times Ooh. coming on up because we're starting off October. I thought you said we're starting off October. <laughs> we are also. You know what? Honestly, you know what? Yeah. If you think about the bands we're covering this month, it's a lot of fucktober. It's a lot of fucktober. And not as in we want to fuck these people, as it, it's more as in fuck, fuck these, these people. people. <laughs> yeah. And 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 in this and in today's scenario, only really fuck one of them, the rest are fine. Oh, I'm interested to find out which one it is. You know which one it is. Who wait, who? What? The world is a vampire. Yeah. I, but which one of them do Fuck you... Billy Corgan? Oh, would you? Oh no, fuck off Billy Corgan. <laughs> fuck off, comma, Billy, Billy Corgan. Corgan. Okay. Not fuck off Billy like, Corgan, but fuck off, comma, Billy Corgan. Okay, got it. Got it. I thought you were saying you would fuck one of them. Oh, no. Okay. I don't think I'd fuck any of them. I don't want to. Look, I respect the rest of them as musicians. We're talking about Smashing Pumpkins, by the way. Yeah, I mean, if you didn't see that from Man. looking at clicking on the episode. Seriously, yeah. Then um, here we are. Or my my spot on impression of billy corgan 
th- you've been working on this one for quite a while. Yeah, so. it was a slog. <laughs> but it also wasn't. It is an interesting story. But <sighs> it, there's a long history. And it's like at some point you got to pick and choose what you put in your notes. Yeah, this was very much a I needed to pretty much omit Billy Corgan drama for like 85%. Because... Yeah. There's just too much. At this point, I think everybody should just assume that whatever we are talking about, there is Billy Corgan bullshit happening behind the scenes at all times. The story of Smashing Pumpkins is that there is always Billy Corgan bullshit happening behind yeah. the scenes. Yeah. And, and to, to greater and lesser degrees, sometimes it's tolerable bullshit. Sometimes it's an intolerable bullshit. <laughs> it gets worse as time goes on. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so we also drink beer. <laughs> Tonight we are. Oh, drinking, we're drinking a delicious uh, one. I'm sorry. This beer is actually um scrumptious, creamy, and roasty. It says so on the label. Yeah, that's what they told me. It is Empire Brewing Company's Black Magic Pumpkin Stout, and obviously pumpkin because smashing pumpkins. Yeah. So there you go. And let's get one thing straight. Not all pumpkin stouts are created equal. This is a fucking, this is a king among men. This, is this f- bows to no one. Yeah. This isn't a true hobbit of a stout. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's very good. I love Indeed. it. Um, Everyone uh, had some real boner jams over this one tonight. So success. And I hope, is it, do they sell Empire around here? Uh, I've never seen it. (laughs) I I got this shit. I got this shit in Rochester. So Rochester. Hey, Rochester people, if you want to send us beer, I don't know. We'll send you nudes. (laughs) Beer for nudes. Hey, we have friends in Rochester who are coming to Troy soon. So this is a shout out to y'all. Bring us some goddamn pumpkin stout from Empire. And I mean, if you're going to, I'll just give you some side boob. My side boob. (laughs) (laughs) Nudes or no, beer for side boobs. Mm. All right, there you go. Our new charity. Oh, that would be a great (laughs) breast cancer awareness. (laughs) Oh, I'd love that. Well, I mean, I guess we've introduced everything we need to. Yep. We're really dragging ass here. So let's get started on the story of the Smashing Pumpkins. Okay. But you want to why? Because today is the greatest <laughs> day I've ever known. If one more like show about some positivity bullshit uses that song to further their positivity message, like the nineties weren't that bad. The songs. Uh, 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 anyway. We'll get into it. Actually, yeah. I will get into it. Okay, good, good. In the early nineties, as hair metal subsided and grunge began to take hold of the airwaves. There were a few acts that didn't quite fit into the same mold as our well-known grunge darlings. They fit into another category for people who wanted to be moved by an emotion, not just rage against the machines. Uh, uh. (laughs) I tried. One of these acts is the Smashing Pumpkins, a quartet of Midwestern kids who grew up on the classics like Boston and Black Sabbath, but garnered much inspiration from goth bands like The Cure. This band's story has twists and turns, and some may paint certain players as villains while others see them as heroes. No matter how you shake it, though, their influence is undeniable. Their music reached out to a generation who were searching for complexities in their rock music, and the Pumpkins, especially in their heyday, Mm. had that in spades. Yeah. 
They did. Like, 90s pumpkins? Fucking chef's kiss. Oh, yeah. Yeah. After that. We'll get into I it. Don't we'll know. get into it. <laughs> no spoilers. Unless you're like, you know, listen to pumpkins. I know what you're saying. Yeah. Our story starts in 1988, Chicago, Illinois. A young Billy Corgan just broke up with his goth band, The Marked, and moved back into the area. He was hungry to start a new band, and all of his friends knew it. Fortunately, a friend soon introduced Billy to a guitarist named James Eha. After a few hangouts hosted by that mutual friend, the two guys began to play music together and quickly started writing songs for hours on end. James Eha is one of the most interesting and weird musicians I have ever seen. Yep. Yeah, that's accurate. Yeah. That's very I accurate. remember the brief period when he was in a perfect circle. Oh yeah, yeah. And the the one show I saw where he was a tour or where he was a tourist. Yes. He was just the tourist. Um he where he was the guitarist. Just the tourist. In a perfect circle. He like at the end of the show, he like harassed people that were trying to leave while he was on stage. Okay. And like he sang a song called like Freddie's Got Pants or something like that, <laughs> which was also mixed with I Want It That Way by Backstreet Boys. Okay. It was really fucking hilarious. Oh, and okay. if people like tried to leave to go to the bathroom or something, you'd be like, Hey, hey, why are you leaving? Freddie's got pants. Don't fucking come back. Oh shit. <laughs> fucking hilarious he he does strike me as a very interesting human oh yes very Indeed. much well between billy and james they felt they had something special there so Aww. they decided to start a band and obviously james was on guitar billy did bass and vocals so they put a drum machine between the two of them and they were soon performing under the name smashing pumpkins oh they had it that early on right why smashing pumpkins yeah. you might ask well i'll tell you okay <laughs> They were always going to go by Smashing Pumpkins because before, when Billy would meet people, he would tell them he had a band, even though he didn't. And when people ask <laughs> Sounds him, like Billy Corgan. <laughs> yeah. It's a real Billy... Co- that is a real Billy Corgan yeah. move right there. Yeah. And when people would ask him the name, he came up with the most ridiculous thing he could think of. And he was so amused by this that he decided when he finally did start a band, the name was already picked. Get it? Picked pumpkins. Oh, I didn't. I, <laughs> you didn't even know. I did it. <laughs> now, I know there are other stories here and there that people say, like, where the name came from. But that's what I got from, like, a documentary I saw where Billy said it. Mm-hmm. So whether or not it's true, that's what Billy said. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go that's with it. That's what Billy said. And unfortunately, or I guess depending on how you look at it, I'm just going to go with Billy's story for the most part. Yeah. Because I'm terrified to do otherwise. <laughs> I'm going to find you. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, okay. We'll yeah, get, yeah. We'll get there. I have things to say about Billy Corgan's relationships and I will hold on to them for yeah. now. You just, just keep those in your back pocket. Yeah. Yeah. It's not that the pumpkins sounded bad as a duo, but they were clearly missing some layers. The first change to that lineup would be when Darcy Retsky came on to play bass. And I am going to spoil this right up front. Darcy and Billy did not get along. Oh, I would not have expected otherwise. Like they had, it was a complicated relationship where it's like they, they cared about each other, but they also fought constantly because Darcy was basically the only person willing to like be like, okay, Billy, they're fucking, they're siblings. Yeah. 
basically. 100. I can love you, but I don't have to like you. Darcy has a story where, like, Billy was having a hissy fit and she started making fun of him. And James was like, don't make fun of him. She's like, why not? (laughs) (laughs) Fuck him. I'll do what I want. He's a fucking dick. He's a baby. He's He's a a baby baby dick. So, yeah, make fun of him. Right. So their their relationship always on some level of volatile. And it makes a lot of sense when you hear how they met. Mm Mm-hmm. Billy and James went to a show one night, and they were standing outside of the venue after it was all over. Billy heard a woman talking about how much she liked the band, and he couldn't help but to turn around and tell her how wrong she was. Oh, couldn't help but tell her how, put her in her place. What do you mean? That was not a good band. They were very, they were very petulant and insisted on themselves. Oh, he would know. I don't know. I'm just assuming that's what he said. (laughs) The two began arguing with one asking... The other, on what grounds could they even say what music was good and bad? And it turned out they're both decent musicians, and quickly Billy asked Darcy if she'd be interested in joining his group. Okay. So weird. (laughs) Despite the negative first impression, she was also curious enough to go by and see what this guy was huffing and puffing about. She showed up, and the three of them worked pretty well together, so she stayed and the trio was born. However, beyond the band itself two members became especially close when James and Darcy started to date. Oh, really? Yeah, they dated for a few years. That's right. For some reason, I had it in my head that she was dating the drummer. Mm-mm. No, it was her and James. Yeah, it was her and James. Yeah. And that couple makes sense. It does. Yeah. But honestly, I really tried to find out things about their relationship. There's like nothing. Huh. They were very private about their relationship. And honestly, in general, like even... In their general private lives, they're very hush-hush. I always just imagine James E. Hutt, like, never actually speaking. Like, he doesn't have a voice box. He has no vocal cords. And then when I heard him speak on the microphone at that One in Perfect Circle show, I was like, who the fuck is talking I know. right now? Yeah. Like, when they had interviewed them for the documentary, I'm like, oh, they talk. Yeah, he always looked like he just did not want to speak and just didn't. He speaks via blank. (laughs) A series of clicks and grunts. Yes. (laughs) While club owners were interested in booking the Smashing Pumpkins for gigs, they were getting a lot of backlash about the drum machine. So they knew what they had to do. Break down and get a drummer to join the group. And we all know the hardest musician to get in, in any group is a drummer. I'm not even joking. No, That's we're like not. Legit. We're not even joking. That is. It's very difficult to find drummers. Yeah. Not an easy task. Through the suggestion of a friend, Billy brought in Jimmy Chamberlain to audition. When this guy walked in, the rest of the pumpkins weren't exactly sure what to do with him or if it was even going to work. Homeboy was wearing jeans and a bright pink shirt, sporting a sweet mullet in a room full of like artsy types artsy goth kids yeah from the we're 90s. just sitting there like from the 80s it was still yeah, like 87 true. you know 87 88 and they're just sitting there like what the fuck is this guy with a mullet he's not gonna fit shouldn't he be like sabotaging some ski competition and some ski lunch? and then winning back his girl he's like no nah, i know i just played drums but i could get a real job babe <laughs> Actually, totally. If we get married right out of high school, it'll totally be forever. I'll never cheat on you, Rhonda. I swear. <laughs> Rhonda, don't do it. Let me tell you right Rhonda, now. Rhonda, come on. No, Rhonda, don't. No. 
but the ski lodge, Rhonda. Do you not remember the ski lodge? Because I remember the ski lodge, Rhonda. That's his first hit single, Remember the Ski Lodge, Rhonda. (laughs) Still a better song than Help Me, Rhonda by the Beach Boys. Still a better song. Still a better song. One might think, though, that because Jimmy came from a very dedicated jazz background that he wouldn't understand a bit of how rock works. He only understands the Yaz drums. Only the Yaz drums. I mean, especially because, like, earlier pumpkins were much more gothy. Oh, yes, they were. So, like, they're like, he's not going to fucking work. But everyone's doubts subsided when he managed to learn their songs in one session. And they're like... Oh, yo, this guy's talented. He's, you're in. You're in. We got you. We yeah. like you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just change your shirt. Yeah. Maybe cut the mullet. Or like, I don't know, dye it black. Unpop the collar, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. In 1988, the Smashing Pumpkins made their full debut at the Cabaret Metro. From there, they were a staple in the Chicago club scene. Piece by piece, Billy made his dream a reality. A full-fledged band. And this was a sound that no one had really heard before. Somewhat in the same vein as New Wave, but it was it was rock. It wasn't heavy metal, which people were listening to more, too. It's not, like, really angry and muddy, like, grunges. You know, they're loud, but it's kind of brittle. It's, it's, it is a sound that people are like, I don't know what to call this. And it's not, like, the poppy alternative. That it's, it's not fucking, like, Weezer that would come out no. a no, few no, years no. later. No. So It is just, like alternative yeah just alternative yeah after nearly two years of performing and even being featured on a compilation album they decided it was time to record their music using money that billy received from his grandmother for college tuition (laughs) they recorded their first single i am one probably a better use for that money honestly Honestly. when's he gonna college fuck that i don't know you know late 80s early 90s he probably could have paid for it on like he would have had it paid off in like a couple of years. Not even. Yeah. <laughs> if he went to community college. Especially. Yeah. No. It sold out quickly and probably would have been a hit at their shows if it weren't for Billy's tendency to rant during the bass solo. Oh, come on, Billy. So like sometimes for like eight to ten minutes, he would go on an abrasive tirade against the youth of America. You are the youth of America. Yeah. 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 And also, this is Darcy's time to shine, you asshole. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, strike one. I know one. this sounds weird, but Billy has a tendency <laughs> to make it about him. Mm, I, I didn't notice. Look, I know we're not even far into this episode, but um, it's already time for me to start hinting towards Billy's problematic nature. Mm. Here we are. I do believe this is going to be a running theme this episode. Yeah. Oh, boy. But lead singer Self-Importance Be Damned, I Am One, is a solid song, and its success encouraged them to put out another single, Tritessa, or Tristessa, whatever. It's very Smashing Pumpkin sounding. Whatever. Tristessa. But also, it's, like, super imp- appropriate that mm-hmm. somebody like Billy Corgan would put out his first single, and it was called I Am One. Oh, gosh. You're of right. Course. I didn't even think of that. Of course. It's that. about himself. I mean, to a degree... Every lyric writer writes stuff about themselves, but Mm -hmm. of course it would be titled something like that. Yeah. (sighs) Okay. (laughs) She's already on the eye roll game. I'm already Liz Lemon eye rolling this son of a bitch. Yeah. She she already lost one eyeball. 20 minutes in. Jesus Christ. (laughs) 
With the success of this song, they ultimately got signed to Caroline Records, which is a subsidiary of Virgin, in 1990. Mm -hmm. The band went right to work with producer Butch Vig, who was ecstatic to work with a band who was ready to, like, just come in, work on their shit, explore what sounds they were capable of. It was just, like, a big, fun, exciting day for everybody. This was well before Butch Vig was Butch Vig. Capital V, capital V. He's just lowercase B, (laughs) lowercase V, Butch Vig. Yeah. But later he'd be Butch Vig. Yeah. This was well before Nevermind came out. Well, before Garbage became a, a band. Oh, so. yeah. Right away, Billy's perfectionism came out and he would spend hours on guitar tone or just like the drum tuning. This man is insufferable. Oh, Already. honey. Honey. Already. Just wait. Just, just sit there. You just wait. Pretty lady. <laughs> And while that in and of itself isn't really a problem per se, it forced the band to power through the album to the finish line. The process drained the band physically and mentally, while it ended up causing Billy to have a nervous breakdown. Oh, did it? Yeah. (laughs) The the fact that you were biting your nail while looking at oh, did it? Did it? Mm. No shit. (laughs) Well. Yes, for what it's worth, everyone was fucking miserable by the end of this. Just just throw it all out there. Billy was also experimenting with a lot of LSD while writing the album, so maybe that didn't help. Oh, good. You know what helps somebody like Billy Corgan? Learning how to microdose in the 90s? Hallucinogenics. (laughs) That's what helps. The hard work would pay off, and in May 1991, the Smashing Pumpkins debut album, Gish, was released. And while it wasn't a Billboard Top 200 for more than a week, it only peaked at 195, Mm -hmm. it still sold over 100,000 copies. It's still a great album. Yeah. It's really good. It is definitely one that I think people revisit now and they're like, oh, I didn't see this, but now I do. Oh, yeah. Now that I'm older, now that I'm of that age. It's the She's All That album of I took off my glasses (laughs) and look how hot I am now. You just had glasses on for 30 years. And then, and now I see. (laughs) Suddenly I see. But anyway. also, can I remind everyone that at this point in in their career, Billy Corgan had a lot of hair. So much. Oh my, he had beautiful hair. He had really nice hair. Really I did. Get the impression that Billy was one of those people that has like a facial shape where no matter how he cuts his hair, it just looks weird. Yeah. So like the bald was the best way to go. Yeah. But like he the had long really, wasn't bad. The long wasn't bad. The but, short like, was weird. Oh, yeah, that was weird. When he just did, like, the basic regular dude haircut for, like, a couple years. Yeah. And he looked like a, a weirdly distorted version of Gerard Way from My Chemical Romance. I think he just looks like a grown-up baby. <laughs> he just looks like he a grown-up baby. Like a grown-up baby. Billy Corgan just looks like a grown-up baby. Billy Corgan, grown-up baby. That should be the title of his next album. In so many <laughs> ways uh, all right so because of like the heyday of college radio and co-eds of the 90s were really devoted indie fans mm-hmm. that's what helped this album to really get garner yeah. success the way it did college radio did smashing pumpkins real good oh yeah like smashing pumpkins rem that was all college radio oh yeah definitely and all for the best honestly yeah that's when you're like yeah thanks college radio Four years, the album continued to perform well. Until 1994, it was the highest selling album released on an indie label until Offspring Smash took its place. Oh. 
Okay. They were like, we gotta keep them separated. Oh my god. Critics were impressed with the efforts of this new band, finding their mixed sounds of hard rock, psychedelia, instrumentals, and beyond to culminate in some of the most refreshing music they've heard in a long time. The success of Gish got the Pumpkins to move from Caroline Records to Virgin Proper and landed them spots on tours with obvious commonalities like Red Hot Chili Peppers and Jane's Addiction, as well as some head scratchers like Guns N' Roses. Can you imagine... Going to a Guns N' Roses uh, concert and, and seeing then, Smashing Pumpkins open? Yeah. Oh, boy. I don't... Which one of these is not like <laughs> the other? Fame hits anyone hard, especially when an indie band of artsy kids who just wanted to express emotions through music get really famous. This time would really change dynamics for the Smashing Pumpkins. Darcy and James went through a messy breakup. Again, I have no idea what happened. You can't, I can't find shit. I can't even imagine him like expressing an emotion for it to get to a level to be called messy. I, I, I don't know. I got nothing. Oh. I got nothing, Chief. Okay. And Jimmy began using some pretty hard drugs. Mm-hmm. Please change the sign to zero days without heroin. Oh, we were going so good. We were good. really doing a good job, but Jimmy Chamberlain... He's gonna. I always. He's gonna come in and really just. Whew. I would always get him mixed up with the drummer from Nine Inch Nails, and mm. um, I, I think feel like because, that was common. But I think because maybe the drummer from Nine Inch Nails subs substituted for Jimmy Chamberlain at some point. Yes. So I think I just like cross reference them all the time. Yep. But <laughs> today I was like, wait. Is Jimmy Chamberlain the heroin addict? Or he was is. It Nine Inch Nails. Are they the same person? Am I going crazy? Are they just both heroin addicts? Are they both crazy heroin addicts? Probably. I don't. I, either way. Either way. Man. All right. Zero days. Yep. Thank you. Please. Please put the clicker back. All right. Let's continue. God damn it. At this time, Billy began going through a lot of mental health issues trying to deal with his depression and anxiety while also being the lead singer of a band skyrocketing to fame. All of this would be a recipe for disaster, at least for the band internally. Mm-hmm. I do have to say, I did do a little backstory on Billy Corgan before we did this episode. I did read the Wikipedia, the <laughs> cliff notes, if you will, of Billy Corgan. Billy and cliff like, notes. <laughs> Billy cliff notes. Billy cliff notes here. Oh, that just, for some reason, that just puts Billy Corgan's face on uh, a yellow book and you're like, all right, Billy quiz boy. No, the guy that Andy Kaufman would do. Tony oh, Clifton. T- Tony, Billy Corgan on Tony Clifton's face. Okay. <laughs> all right I don't know. zero I'm... days without heroin okay <laughs> um yeah okay go on i don't know what I you were probably just gonna say you know that billy's had a he did have a rough ha- yes time that it. is right he had a very rough childhood yeah i'll get to that actually right now okay so they decided that a change of scenery was needed, especially to try to keep Jimmy away from the temptation of drugs. They're like, oh, if we're not, we're like we normally are. Jimmy won't have the hookups. Hey, but you know what? Heroin addicts. Shh, shh, shh. He won't have the hookups, Ashley. But Ashley. But stop it. He'll be fine. This is all fine. Mm. Mm. Thank you. So they went down to Marietta, Georgia to work on. 
They went down to Marietta, Georgia to work on their no, next album. No, we are not bringing Charlie Daniels Band into this. <laughs> okay. So they would work on the next album, which would become their revelatory album, Siamese Dream. Yes. Only prompting more anxiety would be the release of Nirvana's Nevermind. You're right. It was 91. Yeah. The album that defined the 90s, whether Nirvana even wanted it to do that or not. And they didn't. They didn't. They very much did not. Son of a bitch. It called out every grunge, grunge adjacent band, asking them, well, if you can't do this, then why are you even trying? Yeah. Even though grudge, grunge does not exist. Yeah. We've had this conversation once, twice, three times, the lady. It, it it's in the nineties. We were really fucking stupid. We're like, if you're yeah. not gonna be Nirvana, just go away. Yeah, go away. <laughs> Thank you for getting to that before me. Despite not wanting to be included in the grunge scene, the Pumpkins were constantly compared to the big players, like the aforementioned. Which is so stupid. They're very different bands. Very different. Going into the studio added anxiety on top of an already cracking Billy Corgan. So when he went to work, he went to work for everybody, whether they liked it or not. Hmm. The big elephant in the room for Siamese Dream is that Billy decided to play pretty much all of Darcy and James's parts himself. This, yeah. 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 Not a good a, idea. A continuing thing. Not a good idea. Also, not a good idea, Billy. Not a good idea. There were too many takes for them to get it just where Billy wanted, so he decided the best way to handle it would be to do it himself. And if Homeboy could do drums, he probably would, because Jimmy, surprise, surprise, managed to find drug connections in Hotlanta. No shit. I know. Holy shit. I know. Wow, it's kind of like drug abusers are going to find drugs no matter where they go. No. No. Just... You know, so he would run off for days on end, and they'd uh-huh. be like, "Sitting there, like we, we fucking need Jimmy," but they couldn't find him. It got to the point where, when he was actually in the studio, Billy just made him fucking sit at the drum for hours until he got his part down. Sometimes leaving him with bloody hands. Oh, okay. But I stop mean, going on heroin benders. I mean, f- fuck off with the heroin. First yeah. of all, um, second of all, like that could be some kind of abuse in a way. Yeah. Look, Billy was not great. I don't know if you guys noticed this, but like, <laughs> Billy Corgan might be a flawed character in this story. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe, baby. <laughs> Later, when confronted about his tyrannical behavior in the studio, Billy conceded, you know, I gave them a year and a half to prepare for this record. I'm surrounded by these people who I care about very much, yet they continue to keep failing no, me. Oh, it's them, isn't it? It's always them. Yeah, they're failing him. They're failing him. Yeah. His bandmates weren't the only ones he drove crazy. Butch Vig, when he was now Butch Vig. Uh Uh-huh. Capital B, capital V. Came back to produce this album, and while he was there for the challenges Billy provided him on Gish, this time the kid was taking it too far. The recording process was all analog, and on top of that all... Billy had dozens of different guitars with which he was working with. It got to the point where Butch had to create a visual map for which guitar went with which part in each song. Like, he was over it by the end. So he had different guitars playing very specific, small, different parts in each song? Yep. Yeah. 
Why? And Butch would have to just mark what part and what guitar and what song and this, that, the other thing. My God. Yeah. I would have kicked that man in the nuts so hard. He might have. Could have. Yeah, we don't know. Nobody's admitted to it. Lyrically, it was all written by Billy and heavily influenced by the therapy he was undergoing at the time. Many of the songs dealt with his childhood, which was, do you know, just sad to say, quite abusive. It was garbage. It was really shit. Yeah. And just like basic rundown, his father was a great musician, but also someone who got deep in the drugs and guns game. Mm. Not a great thing to have around Two kids. Two things that go so great together. Two great tastes that go great together. Like spaghetti and meatballs. Just drugs and guns. Drugs and guns. Well, now I want spaghetti and meatballs. I know it sounds really And good. maybe drugs and guns. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, his stepmother was physically and emotionally abusive to both him and his little brother. Cool. One of the songs this really comes through on is Disarm, which like tied for my favorite pumpkin song. It is absolutely a fucking amazing song it's so fucking good and one like when you want to hate just when you want to hate billy corgan he comes out with disarm and you're like i can't even hate you and uh it's one of those very rare uh rock songs where orchestral music actually works amazingly well like it's not just there to like drum up some like drama drama it's mm. it's actually part of the song and makes sense every single step of the way mm-hmm. and enhances what's already there mm-hmm. and it's it's hard to explain because there are a lot of songs out there that have orchestral music in it yeah that i'm like oh yeah this really makes me feel an emotion but they're in the forefront like it's it's almost there as like a accessory i'm not an accessory but as a gimmick to like pull you oh, in oh yeah and in this song it's not a gimmick. no no not at all it's, it's part, part of, the of the song and it's important to yeah. the song it's it's great they do an amazing job it, it might be my favorite smashing pumpkin it, no it's not it's one of it's one yeah. of them it's definitely top three material. oh top three absolutely yeah, yeah easily Clear themes of trying to be a good child throughout abuse are present very much in these lyrics. Um, And definitely, like, yeah, he talks about in interviews that he had to, like, really, like, take care of his, like, little brother and try to be, like, the big strong one and, like... I would love to know what Billy Corgan's brother is like. Yeah. I would really love to know And I'm sure his brother's like, nobody look at me, please. (laughs) Ever. (laughs) Watch me be like totally wrong. Sorry, I did not do a deep dive on Billy Corgan. I didn't feel like I needed to. Yeah. For what it's worth, years down the line, Billy would show surprise regret for his behavior during the recording of Siamese Dream, stating, quote, musicianship and technical vision are fine and good, but at some point you cross a line. No matter how good an album you've got, you've cut away the gut of your band. You know what? Shows growth. Right? Shows, Shows growth. that he is aware of the fact that he was a piece of shit. Right. I'll take it. I really hope that he went to those individual band members and said, I'm sorry. I don't know if that ever happened. Are we going to get to that? No. Okay. I don't know, but probably not. But yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. But like, at least a little growth is something. Uh, I'll take the breadcrumbs, yeah. honestly. 
Just the little kernels of growth. I'll take it. It's a little. It's a little chub of growth. Instead of a fully flaccid dick of growth. It's just a chub. <laughs> it's and just a like, chub. All right. That's no, cute. Okay. You're take doing it. it. I'll You're take doing it. Oh. Look at you. You trying. You're growing. <laughs> Slowly. But you growing. In there. In July ninety three, the Smashing Pumpkins released their sophomore album to immense success and praise. Hmm. At the end of the day, a pretty timeless piece of music still came out of it. The band would never be the same after this. But this album would cement them in music history. Siamese Dream debuted at number 10 in the Billboard Top 200 and would sell over 4 million copies in the U.S. alone. Yeah. Unfortunately, for as much stress that reaching success gave them, it only morphed into a new kind of burden once they actually achieved it. It's like, oh my God, I'm so stressed out because we need to be successful. Oh my God, we're successful. This is fucking terrible. Yeah. Their fan base, along with other indie artists they knew in the scene, felt as if Smashing Pumpkins sold out because, you know, they got famous. How dare they? I know. How dare they? Rude. How dare they try to strive for success and, you know, amass this huge fan base and sell some records. Yeah. And then actually do it. How How dare they? Many criticized them for going mainstream and even referred to them as, quote, the grunge monkeys. What? Like like a grunge version of the monkeys. That sounds... Oh, okay. I was going to be The grunge version of the monkeys. I know what you thought. Nope. (laughs) Grunge version of the monkeys. Okay. (laughs) It was all whatever to the pumpkins, though. Their mainstream success had them touring all around the world. They didn't really have time to worry about shade. Yeah, and also that makes no sense. They it's, were not the monkeys. No, and like the yes, monkeys they, were put together. Like, and also yeah, they sounded different, but it sounded like an evolved sound, not some kind of. There was change the way we sound, so we sell more records. Yeah, like they were on the same track between Gish and Siamese Dream. When I think there about, was no track, no like, sectioning off here. Not at they all. They went in the same direction. I don't understand how this was selling out. It's almost like when I think back to in the 90s what we thought was selling out. Green Day? Not even just that. Just oh. like I feel like I don't think that term means what you think it means. Yeah. Because for <laughs> the most part everybody was just like oh they're a sellout. Yeah they're selling records and they're selling out like concert halls. Yes. Yeah. I mean like so sorry we're doing exactly what we set out to do by starting this band yeah like i don't why are you so fucking mad i'm sorry you have to be in a bigger concert hall now but like still the same fucking shit seriously people are weird people are weird don't you want to see your friends fucking succeed no everybody hated everyone back then it's not their fault really that it got so popular yeah by their standards nirvana sold out Nirvana sold out big fucking time, but also they weren't super happy with Nevermind. No. And they didn't really want it to get that big. They didn't want to be that big. No. They wanted to be successful so that they could be a band full time and make money and make a living. Yeah. They didn't want to be like take over the fucking world successful. Yeah. They're like, if we hit blind melon status, we're fine. <laughs> if we get one hit with a B girl, that'll be <laughs> That's great. Yeah, then wrap it up. We're done. Honestly, we're just gonna dress Dave up like a bee. 
Oh, that would have been, been really adorable. Cute. That would have been really fucking cute. Okay. Especially the cute long hair. <laughs> During this time, they also released the B-sides called Pisces Iscariot, which peaked at number four on the chart. Is it because it's called Pisces Iscariot? No. Oh, wait. Pisces Iscariot. So- oh, oh. Well, I will say... It is very rare for a B-Sides album to do that well, mm-hmm. especially when it has the worst cover of Landslide. Absolute worst fucking cover ever that exist. has ever existed. It is like public enemy number one. <laughs> it's not even that. It's like the most like up and down like bipolar crazy insane cover i have ever heard in my life and it is fucking horrible it's very bad it's quite so bad, bad. and pisces is actually has the title of having my least favorite smashing pumpkin song which is the landslide cover oh yeah and some of my favorite Smashing Pumpkin oh. songs. Obscured is one of my absolute favorite Smashing Pumpkin songs ever. Okay. And what was the other one? I don't remember is that it one that well. Frail and Bedazzled, is that what it's called? Yeah. Superb. Okay. Superb. Okay. Say it again. Superb. Yes. I would even say it's a uh, scrumptious. Indeed. Toasty? It's roasty. Creamy and roasty. Creamy. It's scrumptious, creamy and roasty. That's what I'd say sure. that uh, that song is. Yeah, but like, listen to everything else except Landslide oh, so on bad. that album. It's so, so fucking bad. bad. <laughs> Who was like, yeah, Billy, we should totally put this on this you album. You know who said that? Billy. Billy. <laughs> well, I really think this is a great song and it, you know, it really speaks to my love for Fleetwood Mac. Does it? Yeah. Because I'm pretty sure it... it means you hate Fleetwood Mac because only somebody that hates Fleetwood Mac would do that cover. I bet he's friends with Lindsey Buckingham. <laughs> you know who did a better cover of Landslide? The Dixie Chicks. Ooh. I'm sorry, the Chicks. Just the they Chicks. They did a much better cover of Landslide. I would rather listen to that all day yeah. than the Smashing. Okay, I'm done yeah. complaining. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's okay. It's <laughs> It is. It deserves the complaints, it honestly. It does. It's so bad. By 95, the gang was due for a break. At least a break to work on their next album. And things were going to be a bit different this time around. In a lot of ways. Mm. The Pumpkins came to the table with enough songs to make a double album. So they decided to take inspiration from albums like, you know, Pink Floyd's The Wall or The Beatles' White Album. Or Fleetwood Mac's Tusk. Tusk tusk i wouldn't say that was a great double album it had some jams but also i'm pretty sure it's four album four cds it's too much it's too much guys it's a little too much much. it's a little too much so they basically they wanted to create the epic release of this generation Mm mm-hmm Billy learned a lot from the previous album namely that it's not cool to record your bandmates parts that's a good lesson to he learn. He learned something. Oh. His, his chub grew three times that day. <laughs> oh. Feeling that the pumpkins may be reaching the end half of their time, he wanted everyone to come in and give it their all. This resulted in much more collaboration with Darcy and James. They also made a big decision not to go with Butch for the production of this album, but instead hire Flood, 
who had already made a name for himself with working with the likes of New Order, Nine Inch Nails, Gary Newman, and oh. so many more. Okay. They're like, we've made it. We can work with Flood now. They, you know. they reached Flood status. <laughs> <laughs> when recording, they made use of rehearsal space, where they would work out the rough cuts, especially for the rhythm section. Flood insisted they use downtime to jam together and utilize the two recording rooms to make the best use of their time. In classic Smush- Smashing Pumpkins fashion, they were running behind schedule. In fact, they were putting the final mixes on it when they were getting kicked out of the studio by Bobby Brown, who was coming in to work on his own music. <laughs> Bobby! He's like, get out of here. And they're like, wait, we're almost done. Get the fuck out. <laughs> Overall, the process was smoother and more collaborative in the last. When it was all said and done, the Pumpkins had 57 songs in total. Oh my God. Why? How? I, Billy? Actually, all of them. All of them. Why are we even saying saying that they're even smashing pumpkin songs? They're Billy Corgan songs. I mean, he did better this time around. (laughs) He did better. He was better. better. The chub was bigger. Don't forget. After much debating and culling, they would release a two-disc set of 28 songs total and gave it a name as epic as its contents, Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness. Indeed. Musically, a lot went into this album. Conceptually, however, Billy refuses to call it a concept album. The two discs are supposed to represent day and night. The first Mm -hmm. disc is called From Dawn to Dusk, and the second is From Twilight to Starlight. I remember... When the one's the, like the pink sun one and the other CD one's the blue had the moon. Sun and the other one had the moon. Yeah. yeah I still have the seas. Mm-hmm. The songs themselves ranged from loud teenage angst to whimsical flights of fancy. Mm-hmm. Like yes. We Only Come Out at Night, which I fucking love. Oh, yeah. That is a good one. That's a good one. I have to like revisit Melancholy again, again, because I listened through it twice writing these notes and I was like, I really have to revisit this again. Like, harder. Mm. Billy said they were trying to convey the human condition of mortal sorrow. (laughs) (laughs) And he pulled that out of his ass. (laughs) No, I'm sure he felt that the entire time. Oh, I'm sure. It was in a way meant for the Utes. To give them music to convey the feelings they had. To give them what Billy felt he lacked growing up. As well as a way to say goodbye to his sad childhood and moved on. There does come a point in your therapy where it's like, you're working through your trauma, you're reliving all your shit, and then you kind of have to look at it and say, all right, we're done now. I can't keep using you for musical inspiration anymore. Yeah, like I can't just keep reopening old wounds. Yeah. This is no bueno. The guitars were tuned down. (laughs) I'm going to make new wounds to open up. Oh, oh boy, (laughs) is he ever. He sure is. Oof. Oof a doof. (laughs) Yeah. That's going to happen with Billy Corgan a lot. The guitars were tuned down half a step to make everything sound a little lower. They threw everything into those songs, from an orchestra to synth strings, and even some salt shakers and scissors. Okay. They're like, hey, do we have salt shakers? Yeah, let's just... <laughs> it was no, a- put your fingers over the holes. You're throwing salt everywhere. <laughs> uh, we're trying to experiment here. Just... Don't Not make a mess. in the studio. Mm, seasoned. <laughs> Tasty. Tasty studio. <laughs> For the cover of the album, they worked with illustrator John Craig, 
known for his collages. The front cover of the woman coming out of that star uh-huh. is actually a collage of two paintings. The souvenir, called Fidelity, by Jean-Baptiste Gus, and Raphael's portrait of St. Catherine of Alexandria. Okay. They're so bougie. I do remember when I was young being like, wow, that looks like such a fancy album. But I also love that like vintage art. Oh, yeah. Feel. I thought it was a classical album when I first saw it. And then I was <laughs> like, oh, Smashing Pumpkins. Okay. They're a rock band. Cool. All right. It reminds me of a Ouija board. The original Ouija board has mm. that like vintage celestial or even, artwork on it. Or even just tarot cards. Yeah. Yeah. Anything spiritual, really. Yeah. I like that. I'm down with it. While many scoffed at the Smashing Pumpkins when they explained the grandiose album they were intending to release, fans and critics alike were blown away by the final product. Truly an album unlike any other of our time, a rare two-disc set that works. And that's why it's not like Tusk. Yeah, because Tusk didn't work. No. Has some bangers. Doesn't work. Despite costing over $20, it debuted at number one on the Billboard 200. Do you remember being like, wow, $20? Yes. $25 for a fucking I CD? absolutely do. <sighs> and it was not offered in the BMG Columbia oh, house. Oh, no. That's a double for, record. 10 you for a penny. No. That's a double record. You got to pay full price after you get all those pennies, like one cent yeah. CDs. That, that's, that's an add-on. Yeah. <laughs> it said it specifically... In that magazine ad that you cannot get melancholy in the infinite sadness for a penny. Can't just for two of my pennies? Nope. <laughs> nope. Full price, bitch. You can get this after you get your 10 for a penny. Also, where is our other $200 you owe us? <laughs> shit, shit, shit. I'm in debt. Also, here's this Red Hot Chili Peppers album you didn't say you didn't want. So here it is. Every month you get another shitty album. If you don't say you don't want it, you're getting it and you got to pay for it. Oh, yeah. And it was always a Red Hot Chili Peppers album. They came out with like one a month. You're like, how are there this many Red Hot Chili Peppers albums? They all sound the same. I don't. uh, How are they different? I don't California, California. Everything's about California. Oh, God. I'm so confused. Well, this album was praised for being able to accomplish such ambitious goals and changing the face of alternative rock going forward. The album was nominated for seven Grammys, but only one for Bullet and B- Bullet with Butterfly Wings in Best Hard Rock Performance. Well, the world is a vampire. It's so. set to drain. Yeah. All right. All right. He's Secret just a rat in a cage. Yeah. Aren't we all? Sure. We all are. Sure. Initially, Billy was against that being the lead single, opting instead for Jelly Belly. But when the powers that be implored him that this song was a damn bop, he relented. Good thing, too, because this song is pretty much like a clutch staple for the Smashing Pumpkins. Yeah. And he, he, they can't perform without performing this song. And he made a total 90s fashion statement with the Zero shirt yeah. in the music video. Yeah turns out yeah (laughs) another staple would be billy's look yes this is when he fully embraced a shaved head and tossed on the zero shirt and silver pants that Mm -hmm. everyone would expect to see when they were at a smashing pumpkin show and boy oh boy let me tell you there were some shows lots of shows shows for the smashing pumpkins they're just touring tour 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 they went on an extended world tour throughout 1996 
But this tour would be unfortunately marred with tragedy. Oh, no. Not great time for the Smashing Pumpkins. Yikes. Mm. The first horrible event was in May when at a show in Dublin, the moshing pit got out of control. Many times the band demanded the crowd stop because they like they're like, we don't put on this kind of show. We don't have mosh pits. You're like, come the fuck down, guys. I'm going to sing today. You can't mosh to today. <laughs> like, guys. You're Come in on. Ireland. Like, what could possibly be bad enough in the in oh. Ireland in the 90s that you would want to, like, mosh so hard? Yeah. I don't know. What? That's weird. Just calm down, Come guys. Come on, Irving. What are you so upset about? I don't know. We are being facetious. <laughs> don't you worry. But overall, they had no power over them. And as a result... Oh, they sure were Sarah. They were... were they... From Labyrinth. No, they were Jareth. The crowd was Sarah. Because they had no power over them. And they're like, you have no power of us. We're going to keep moshing. And they're like, yeah, that's fuck. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Oh, okay. Yeah. Anyway. But yes, in the end, they could not stop the crowds. Mm -hmm. And as a result, a 17-year-old named Bernadette O'Brien was crushed to death. Mm. And they were shook by this. You know, they're not used to this kind of reaction or death. Like, they would have never gone on to him like, somebody might die. People don't generally die at like alternative rock shows no that's wow yeah guys, they what were you doing they were angry they were really upset so they ended up canceling the next show in belfast and they would push a very hard and strict no moshing rules for the rest of their shows yeah like, i mean don't I would too yeah sadly this would not be the last death on tour and the next would hit entirely way too close to home Joining the Pumpkins on this tour to play keyboards was Jonathan Melvoin, who, in addition to being a talented multi-instrumentalist, came from a family of musicians. From his father, working crew pianist Mike Melvoin, to his sister, Wendy Melvoin of Wendy and Lisa, part of Princess oh, Revolution. Oh, no shit! Yes! Wow! Yup. That's fucking royalty. This is, a, this is some fucking music royalty up yeah. in this bitch. Jonathan befriended the band quickly, particularly Jimmy, whose father had just died while they were on tour, and found solace in some real hard drugs. Oh, boyoids. Jonathan joined Jimmy down this path littered with heroin, and the two would have many scares that the band would have to clean up afterwards. Guys, come on. It wasn't really possible to fire Jimmy, but Jonathan had been threatened with being kicked off the tour several times if he kept it up. Unfortunately, that wasn't enough to stop them. I mean, you can't really say, hey, you heroin addict, you got to stop this shit. But hey, you heroin addict, you're fine. You can't. Well, they were trying to get Jimmy to stop, but it's. Yeah, but. <sighs> yeah, it's. It's uh, different. Yeah, it it's is. It's just different. It's hard. It's not. They should have stopped touring. They should have been like, we need to take a fucking break. Yeah. They could have done that. They could have not just embarked on this massive tour to begin with. Yeah. Knowing that they are touring with a heroin addict and another and now potential. Two heroin addicts. And now two heroin addicts that are basically feeding off of each other. Yeah. Yeah. It it wasn't great. Not a great scene. They're Joe Bluth in it all over the, the fucking globe at this they point. They had made a huge mistake. Yes. On July 11th, the night before their show at Madison Garden the pair would be given a particularly potent type of heroin. Jimmy woke up in the middle of the night to find an unresponsive Jonathan. He and their tour manager attempted to revive him, but after the paramedics showed up, they declared him dead at 4.15 a.m. Come 
fun, guys. Police showed up and found heroin and needles in Jimmy's room and charged him with possession. Yeah. Yeah. This was it for his bandmates. They were just filled with grief. They didn't know what to do anymore, so they fired Jimmy. They were like, this just went too far. Yeah. And they ended up putting Filter's Matt Walker on drums and the Frog's Jimmy Flemion on keyboard. The Smashing Pumpkins were not invited to Jonathan's funeral, however. An interesting little piece of trivia Hmm. here, though. Despite not knowing him, Sarah McLaughlin wrote a song after reading the news of his death, and she performed that song called Angel Angel at his funeral. Yes! So when you see sad dogs, it's really supposed to be Jonathan Jonathan Melvoy. Yeah. (sighs) There's too many layers. Oh, God. So just in case you weren't sad enough. Those fucking ASPCAs. ASPCA ads ads just got another level of heartbreak yeah. that I just can't handle. Yeah. Great. Okay. Yeah. Thanks, Sarah McLaughlin. I don't even this you is know. This is all your fault. Thanks, Jimmy Chamberlain. I don't know. <laughs> you know what? Thanks, heroin, for being a fucking asshole. Yeah. Thanks, government. <laughs> Thanks, Reagan. You know, it's all Ronald Reagan's this fault. This is all just Ronald Reagan's it's fault. Fucking Ronald Reagan's fault. If we can find a reason to blame Reagan, we're doing it. I'm pretty sure you can blame Reagan for just about everything going on right now. All right. And in the lead, like the lead up to now. Yeah. Early 80s till now. Yeah. It's all Reagan's fault. Thanks, Reagan. Fucking dick. <laughs> Meanwhile, Jimmy went into rehab while his band continued Good. a grueling tour that left them deflated at the end. Yeah. You <sighs> probably just should have stopped. Should have stopped. You should have just canceled all of it and just taken a fucking vacation gathered got your shit together put it in the backpack brought it to the fucking shit store store or the shit museum Mm -hmm. whatever you want to do just get your shit together they didn't they did not no at this point the rest of the band knew things would be different not just functionally as a band but sound wise as well they would release singles for movies like lost highway Mm -hmm. and batman and robin Containing more electronica elements. <laughs> Those were like the two <laughs> movie soundtracks that every like alternative band with a slight goth or electronica bent like <laughs> made a, a song for in the fucking 90s. So yeah, this... This checks. Yeah. Absolutely. I liked both of those soundtracks. They're great soundtracks. I'm not (laughs) saying they're bad at all. I'm saying this makes sense. This is, it makes sense. And also, this is like, those soundtracks are who I am. Yeah. We're all Batman and Robin, aren't we? We are all a perfect drug. We're all bat nipples. (laughs) We're all bat nips. We're all bat nipples. Yeah. Billy would tell critics that people could expect to hear a much different sound going forward. Okay. He lost Jimmy, his musical partner in crime, and was feeling restricted by rock genre in general. And it was the late, it was it like was the mid to time. late 90s and shit was starting to get real weird. Kurt Cobain's dead. Oh Everyone's just like, what do we do? And electronica music is generally sneaking into everything at this point. And the early 2000s are on the horizon. And guess what, guys? It was weird. It was new metal. It was new metal. The pants just kept getting bigger. And and we all got the life, didn't we? We sure did. <laughs> and we were all doing it all for the nookie. All of it. And breaking stuff. I really regret all of my decisions in high school, but here we are. And you know what? Might have been crawling in my skin. <laughs> These wounds never healed. <laughs> Bring me to life. Wake me up inside. 
So it made sense to experiment with Electronica a little bit more, see what else they could do, and bring back their old friend, the drum machine. Ah. Uh, mm. Old standby. The old trusty standby. They went back into the studio during the summer of 1997. Initially, they worked with producer Brad Wood and kept Matt on drums. But quickly, Billy felt uninspired and decided to drop those two and go out to record in California with Darcy and James. And he was just going to produce the album himself. No, of course he would. This sounds incredibly like Siamese Dream. It was and it wasn't. So he rents a full house for all of them to live in while recording in hopes that they could work more cohesively. Okay. Except James refused to live in the house with them, so it actually didn't even work out that great. Why did he refuse? He just didn't want to live in the house with them. I Okay. That is a legitimate excuse. It also sounds very James. I would not want to live in that house either. Yeah. I get it. And while the trio did work together as well as you could imagine, Billy was still very controlling over the whole project. No, so what I'm saying is it wasn't say. like a full Siamese dream, but it was definitely more restrictive than Melancholy. Okay. In 98, they would release Adore, the most polarizing album of the Smashing Pumpkins career. Mm-hmm. Basically, it seems you either love it or you hate it. They dropped the distorted gu- guitars and heavy drums for atu- acoustic guitars and soaring synths and contemplative lyrics. I really don't understand why so many people hated this album so much. I fucking love it. Thank you. First of all, I fucking love it. You know what? Hot take and people are going to come for me. It's my favorite Smashing Pumpkins album. Might be mine. Yeah. Like, as a whole? As a whole. I can listen to the whole thing start to finish and not skip anything. So here's my thing. And here's why I think, like, so a bunch of people who are older than us are going to be, like, probably, like, really pissed off right now. And maybe people our age, too. But, like, I didn't get into the Smashing Pumpkins until I was in high school. I wasn't in high school till like, 98, 99. Yeah. I was so, in ninth grade in 99. So Right. So for people who are, like, but melancholy, though... You were, like, probably 15, 16 when Melancholy came out. I'm, like, 11. Yeah. And while I enjoyed it, I didn't, it didn't speak to me. Yeah. Adore spoke to me in a much different way than Melancholy ever did. And I think that's why I connect more to it, is I was just at that age. And holy fuck, when you're a depressed teenager, like, for me, Adore was, like, a fucking beacon. Yeah. Waving in the middle of the night of, like, hey. You sad? And I'm like, I'm sad. Once Upon a Time and Daphne Descends are two of the most amazing songs that they have oh done God. in their entire career. But also, Adore is the most logical next step in their discography mm-hmm. than anything else. So I don't really understand why people got lost in the in-between. Yeah. I do, <sighs> Especially because they did release singles that were... Very much a bridge from Melancholy to Adore. And Adore was, I get it, it was much more like electronic than Melancholy was. But at the same time, it makes sense considering what they were releasing in between. And Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness was also, it was more electronic, more synthesizer-y. Yeah, it definitely, it had... It was still hard and like full of like real drums and heavy distorted a, guitars, but but it had that lush keyboard feel, the lush it did. electronic it feel. It was much more orchestral. It 
range the range was much broader on it yes and so you're right it does make perfect sense to go especially if you don't have jimmy yeah go to a door yeah and people shit all over a door and like a door is actually turning into a cult classic now yeah like a lot of people have revisited and been like we might have given you an unfair shake yeah you were wrong whoopsies <laughs> i remember like fuck man crestfallen was like my jam because oh, i got oh, broken yeah. up with a lot and i <laughs> that's how i learned that word and then yep. in my little teenage bullshit years i was like i'm gonna write lyrics and i'm gonna use the word crestfallen because i know what that means now <laughs> <laughs> like i think i'm a sad angsty teenager i wasn't but like oh. i thought i was i was <laughs> you had far more reason to be than I did. But like I pretended like I was. I don't know. I think we all had enough reasons to be sad and I depressed. mean, when we're teenagers, we all do. It's Reagan's fault. It's legitimately Reagan's fault in yeah. this case. Here we go. See, not only here though was Billy still reeling from what happened with Jonathan and Jimmy, but he was going through a tumultuous divorce and just lost his mother to cancer. For Martha is about his mother. Ooh, his mother's name is Martha. I thought she died when she when he was young. No, no, his parents just got divorced. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yikes. Yeah. So the lyrics on a door deal with some real shit. Yeah. And for what it's worth, he even came out and said, "quote I'm no longer talking to teenagers. I'm talking to everyone." Like yeah. he wasn't gonna make the same angst ridden like the world is a vampire anymore. Yeah. He's like, I'm a little older. I've been through some real shit. Like I've seen people fucking die. I've been through a fucking divorce. You look at the world a hundred percent differently when you go through shit like that yeah. than when you're like twenty something and you're like, Man, paying bills sucks. And arguably he he should be writing music for the same fans. So who are growing with him. They're but growing they fucking with him. hated it. And I'm like no, this he's still writing for you. You should be going through these things too. Should be. Yeah. I don't know. Cranky fucking bitches. Yeah. Critics were still impressed with the product at its finish, but fans not so much. Unlike Melancholy, which sold five million, Adore barely hit one million. The band dropped their alt-rock image for like a vintage goth look and it caught everybody off guard. It's just the same fucking thing when Metallica decided to wear eyeliner guy liner and everyone's like when they cut their hair they cut their hair fuck yeah it's the same i'm like this because they changed their look are they allowed to change no they have to still wear the same grungy shit okay the fact that people get butt hurt over a band changing their look upsets me so hard and this is like a phenomenon that only happens in rock. Yeah. Because, like, Madonna changed her image with every album she put out. Yeah. And people were like, yes, bitch, let's fucking do this every well, fucking cause... year. <laughs> and, like, and in rock music, everyone's like, you you changed your jacket? No! <laughs> it's like, how, rock, how, why? Rock purists are the fucking worst. The worst. And there's so many of them. Thankfully, I feel like at this point in time, there's not as many as there are now because you kind of have to change your image every time you release a fucking single yeah. to keep people's interests in you. Yeah. and you. But back yeah. then, like, if you changed anything in rock music, oh my holy God. fuck, you were a sellout or a piece of shit. Or both. Or both. Usually both. 
It seems overall that just a lot of people were upset that they weren't handed Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness. Part two, Electric it was Buggalo. A, it was already a double disc. Like, suck I my wanted dick. parts three and four. Oh my God. But yeah, like it's like it's so sad to me that people had to like shit all over a door because it really is a fantastic fucking album. It is. It's really, really good. And if you don't think so, please go listen to it again because it is fantastic. Yeah. Like, I'm sure at this point you have grown up and experienced things. Look at it through, you know, more experienced eyes. Yeah. Also, there's a lot of songs on there that really show you how problematic Billy Corgan is in relationships. He's not great with them. No. Mm. And definitely thinks that women are his property. What? They're not? Gonna go with no. Weird. (laughs) So they do the tour thing, and by October 98, they were back at it, recording their fifth album. And this time, they gave fans a pleasant surprise when they brought back a newly clean Jimmy Chamberlain to to play on drums. He, like, I thought he was gone for way longer. No, I I remember him coming back. I guess, like, two years is, is a pretty long time, but I just thought it was a lot longer than that. Yeah. After the negative reception of Adore, they went back to their rock sensibilities. After working on it for a few months, they decided to take a break to go on another tour as a reunited band this time called the Arising Tour. See, it's the <laughs> word arising with an exclamation point. So it's the Arising Tour. That, that's just like a fake put on. Like, none of your exclamation <laughs> points. Stop it. However, an event to be celebrated soon turned to another loss when Darcy announced that she would be leaving the Smashing Pumpkins at the end of the tour. Oh, I can only imagine what went on during the tour. Mm. Oof. What's gone on for the past eight years is more same, like it. Same, yeah. Or same, ten it's years. all the same ten, bullshit. Yeah. 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 It's Billy Corgan. It's, Maybe. It's all Billy Corgan. It might be. <laughs> it is. At this point, the Smashing Pumpkins had an idea that this next album was just going to be their last album. But as their, for their bassist, she could no longer stay on board and continue to deal with the toxic and controlling environment that Billy was cultivating. Yeah, I don't blame her. Yeah. Thrown a curveball, the rest of the band once again changed up the recording of the album and had to drop some of the initial concepts they came up with. Billy decided initially that this was going to be a concept album. This is going to be the concept oh, album. Oh, this one's going to do it. Okay. This is it. He wanted to name it Glass in the Machines of God, where the band members would play exaggerated versions of themselves as these, like, pseudo-characters as the press sees them. Which, I don't think any of them are playing characters. I think they're just who they are. That's to assume that any of them are characters to begin with. This is just a... a, It's a weak concept. It's a very weak concept. The story was centered around a guy named Zero who heard the voice of God and renamed himself Glass and his band members were the machines of God and their fans were known as ghost children. That's dumb. That's fucking dumb. So they have this song on that that album. dumb. Glass and the ghost children. That's so dumb. I'm sorry. No. There were talks with Sony about creating some kind of animated show or film for this. Nope. Not worth it. But again, with Darcy leaving and the band preparing to end this journey, the ideas never fully came into fruition. Right. Which is fine. Eventually, they would release Machina, The Machines of God, in 2000. This actually did worse than Adore, which Billy and the others chalk up to, quote, the pumpkins not being as hard as the new metal bands at the time, and, quote, (laughs) kids turning a deaf ear to alt-rock. I mean, yeah, they kind of were. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. 
They weren't. All, we they weren't. Were, we weren't here. Yeah, they no. weren't totally wrong. They weren't. But honestly, it's just not a very cohesive album, and it shows. Yeah. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of fluff, and it's kind of all over the place. The album has 15 tracks, and the song Glass and the Ghost Children is just about 10 minutes long. Which, like, it's... (laughs) Who do you think you are, Billy? Yeah. (laughs) It's by no means a bad album. It's just nobody was really asking for this at the time. Yeah. So bad timing. We were way too busy doing it all for the nookie. God, I did it for so much nookie at this point. So much nookie. An insane amount of nookie had been gotten for this at this point. My like 16 year old self was nookie and all over the place. You know it. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I still don't really know what that means. I mean, I know what that means, but like, doesn't really mean anything. No. Okay. Thank you. That's all I I really wanted to confirm. When it was time to once again tour, they needed a bassist. So Billy decided to ask Melissa off Damar of Hole to step in. Love her. She had just left Hole to work on solo stuff. So it felt like a good time to travel with the pumpkins, which ended up being a little bit more demanding than she initially thought it would be. Yeah. Mm. Might be why she didn't last very long. Mm. (laughs) Well, she would tour with them for about a year and take her leave after it was all over. She wanted to start working on her own solo career. One of the few few famous people that live in our area that I am okay with living in our area. Oh, does she live around here? She lives in Hudson. Oh. She is part owner of Basilica Hudson. Oh, yeah, that she, makes sense. Because, she started that thing. So she did her solo career for a minute uh-huh. and then that ended up taking a back burner for art and photography and she would work with her husband on that stuff. Yeah. Oh. Now she right. lives in Hudson and you know what? has that thing. I'm cool with that. Yeah. Melissa, hit us up. Coolest part about Hudson. Honestly. Honestly. <laughs> Because guess what, guys? Hudson's a shithole. Not great. Not that it really mattered that she left, because by the end of 2000, the Smashing Pumpkins would become defunct. Billy made the announcement on LA radio station that stating that they were, quote, fighting the good fight against the Britneys of the world, but the oh, band- fuck you. Yeah, Ugh. he's gross. But the band had reached the end of the road emotionally and musically. Which, yeah, I bet. <laughs> Shoulda. Probably a little bit ago, but okay. Definitely. I'm sorry the Britneys of the world were preventing you from being so creatively wonderful. It's just funny because you complain about people complaining about you changing your image and then you go off and you make fun of pop music. And it's like, I just, I remember back then, like, and I was like that too, but I was also 16. But also- And I'd be like, "Mm, I don't like pop music. Fuck Britney. But also at this point- in Smashing Pumpkins' career, they were part of pop music too. Yeah, they were part of the top ten on they Billboard's were on TRL. Charts. They were on TRL. Yeah. They were doing all these huge ass fucking tours. You were part of pop music, whether yeah. you like it or not. Yeah. So you can't make fun of the Britneys of the world yeah. without making fun of yourself. You can't make fun of her and take yourself that seriously. It's almost like Billy doesn't understand irony. Nah. (laughs) It's almost like Billy takes himself super seriously when he shouldn't and has no right to. Around the time of that announcement, the Smashing Pumpkins released their sixth album, Machine 2, The Friends and Enemies of Modern Music. Electric Buckaloo. Machine 2, Electric Buckaloo. (laughs) No, Machine 2, The Friends and Enemies of Modern Music. 
See, before they released Machina 1, Billy expressed to Virgin the desire to release another double album. But after the conceived flop of Adore, they said there was no way. Oh, no way. No way. <laughs> Frustrated with the restrictions of a commercial label, Billy started Constantinople Records. I'm glad you were drinking while I said that. Because <laughs> you said it like the song. Constantinople. Why do you want me to say it? Istanbul you- <laughs> is not Constantinople. You can't say it not like the song. How am I supposed to say it? Constantinople. How am I supposed to say it? Constantinople. Constantinople. No, you have to say it like the song. Okay, thank God. <laughs> he released the album through his own label. Uh-huh. However, they did a limited final release, mostly going to friends and family and a few prominent fans. And they were asked to rip the album and redistribute it for free. And this became one of the first free downloadable albums, helping to change the shape of the music industry going forward. Take that, Lars Ulrich. Pretty much. Suck my dick. Although I do feel like Billy and Lars would be friends. (laughs) Suck my chub, bitch. (laughs) Suck my chub, Lars. My chub is a vampire. On December 2nd, 2000, the Pumpkins played their last show at the same Chicago club where they got their start, the Metro. That's nice. It was. Bringing it all back. I know. It was a four and a half hour show with music spanning their 12 year career. That's a lot. Yeah. It just felt like a nice fitting end to this legendary band. Uh Uh-huh. And the next year, Billy and Jimmy got together and started the supergroup Zwan. Oh, oh, oh. Supergroup question mark? Also okay. consisting of Paz Lenchatten from A Perfect Circle yep. on bass. Which, God, I wish she never left A Perfect Circle for a swan. What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you, honey? Although, do you think she just went left like one demanding male for another demanding male? Um, no. Because A Perfect Circle was not... Oh, James that's Kegel's right. Man I, always, band. I always forget that. It's Billy Howard L's band, and he is a nice man as far as I can tell. She left one Billy for a wrong Billy. <laughs> yes. All right. There we go. Yes. It also had guitarist David Pajo and Ma- Matt Sweeney. Um, They were all part of it. They released the album Mary Star of the Sea, which was not well received. And then they <laughs> broke up in 20, 2003. <laughs> Why does he keep trying? And then he's like, no, we're broken up. But here's an album. Oh, we're broken up because nobody liked it. Yep. But here's an album. Oh, nobody liked it. But we're broken up. After that, Billy would do some work with New Order and release a book of poetry. Oh. This is also where I really started to not like New Order anymore. Oh, I'm sure that book of poetry is just scintillating. Oh, my God. We should fucking buy it and do dramatic readings no let's download it and do dramatic readings. let's rip it off the internet so we don't have to buy it and then do dramatic readings boom okay love it jimmy went off and started his own group the jimmy chamberlain project and released an album in 2005 cool and james worked with a perfect circle and played guitar for them in 2004 indeed he did and you saw the show i did don't you fucking leave if you leave don't fucking come back where are you going? What was the song he sang? Freddie got fingered. <laughs> Freddie's got pants, and I want it that way. I'm pretty sure I still have uh, an MP3 of it on my old computer. Yeah, it's adorable. We can probably find it on YouTube. I love it. 
In 2005, Billy began to come out and mourn the days of his successful band, the Smashing Pumpkins. He accused Darcy of being a mean-spirited drug addict and claimed it was James who broke up the band. That's how you really reminisce. What? What is his damage? Oh my god. This is okay, so like in the 2000s is where Billy Billy Corgan just really fucking goes bananas. Was it because he was dating Courtney Love? Yeah, probably. <laughs> Didn't help. I also like just kind of forget the fact that it's like Billy Corgan and Courtney Love dated on and off for like a solid two decades. Literally just imagine that couple. Ugh. Imagine no being in the same bar Ugh. as that couple, as Billy Corgan and Courtney Love together and as they're a just couple, fighting, fighting, and then fiercely making out, and then fucking slapping each other, and then fiercely making they're out, just groping, and then eventually someone speak. You guys have to leave. You ha- you're disturbing everybody else here. Yeah, you, you need to leave. You gotta go. Like the people on the patio can hear you like. Smashing your lips together. You oh. need to leave. Yeah. Worst couple ever. Most disgusting couple, but at the same time, they are a literal car accident. Yeah. You, cannot, you cannot look away. You can, you want to know, like, what is going on? What is this? But, like, how are they doing that? But, like, gross. But also, <laughs> like, I'm so intrigued, but you I'm can't so stop. grossed out. You can't stop. Can't stop, won't stop. <sighs> But I need to because my eyeballs. They just fell out of your eyes. It's fine. The sockets, they're gone. While we never really heard any retaliation from Darcy, who was radio silent at the time, James came out and said the only person who could who could ever break up the pumpkins was Billy. He did. He did. Multiple times. I mean, well, no, he only broke up the, the pumpkins once. Okay. At the end. He broke up Zwan once as well. So, so far, he's broken up two bands once each. Okay. Soon after, Billy would put out advertisements looking for new bandmates. He put out advertisements <laughs> in the Chicago Do you newspapers. Not have any friends. I think he was doing it to be spiteful. Why? I don't know. I don't know. Actually, oh my god. Uh... So of course, Jimmy was on board because they're just like apparently musical soulmates. James and- I feel like Jimmy is just one person who just does not give a shit about the personality of the other people he's working with. That must be with. what it is. It has to be. But on the other side, you have James and Darcy who are given some big Randy Jackson energy up in this bitch. <laughs> it's going to be a no from me, dog. Exactly. Yeah. Even Melissa said she wasn't going to be a part of any reunion. She was so much better than this. She was she was nothing but like very gracious about the whole thing. She's just like, hey, that's cool. I'm glad they're getting back together. I'm doing my own thing, so I'm not going to join. This is the but you know deep down inside, like, oh no, this is the woman who spent countless years with Courtney Love as like one of the only people that was stuck by her side for a long time. If she can deal with Courtney Love. She can be like okay with Billy Corgan. Yeah. That woman. She's a fucking saint. She's got stories. Holy shit. I I want to read that memoir. I want to read that memoir. Billy went back into the studio to work on new music. Jill, Jimmy got all of his drum parts down and then worked on finding new band members while Billy got his vocals and the guitars down. And when it came to production, It was hard to find someone to help because they insisted on recording the album as analog. Yeah. 
I think at that point they didn't even make analog anymore. Yeah. I mean, they did, but it was not as common. Why? Because Billy. Eventually, they found the right person for the job in Roy Thomas Baker, who was best known for his work with Queen. Okay. Especially, like, on Bohemian Rhapsody. Uh Uh-huh. Like, Queen won, I think, through, like, jazz, maybe. Yeah. He, like, homeboy knows his shit. All right. Eventually, they would bring on board Jeff Schroeder on guitar, Ginger Reyes on bass, and Lisa Harrington on keyboard. In 2007, they released the new album, Zeitgeist, to mixed reviews and confusion. (laughs) Many felt it lacked the imagination that the Smashing Pumpkins were so well known for, that it was a sea sea of aggressive riffs and fantastic drumming that eventually grained on the listener. I mean, this pretty much just describes Billy's personality, so... It was funny because I was like, I don't know any of the songs off of Zeitgeist? What? And then I, I remember up... it coming out, and I remember actively, like, avoiding it. Because I remember I the song. You probably heard the song Tarantula, like, because when you hear it, you're like, oh, I know this oh, song. Oh, that sounds familiar. And, like, the video is just, like, Billy and Jimmy, and then around them are, like, different guitarists, like, male, female, whatever, because I'm sure it's some piss take on the fact that they couldn't find consistent guitar and bass i mean whatever whatever it's fine in 2009 jimmy would end up leaving the band again stating he no longer wanted to commit to something he didn't fully possess <laughs> another dig at billy corgan's yeah. like controlling, controlling nature ridiculousness yeah. yeah billy made some hints towards not the best departure stating quote just when you thought drama was so 90s you know what's hilarious? Billy Corgan, thinking that he's righteous. But like, come on, Billy. Who's the most common denominator here? It's Billy. It's Billy. It's Billy. The drummer one. <laughs> yeah. It's Billy. It's Billy. Uh, like, come on, yeah. dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The drummer once again started his own band while Billy took the name Smashing Pumpkins and soldiered on. I'm just breezing over this next decade here because it's just the Smashing Pumpkins albums keep coming out and Billy kept a constant rotation of musicians in his pocket. At one point, Tommy Lee came in to do drums for the album Monuments to an Elegy in 2014. Oh my fucking God. When you know you are scraping the bottom of the barrel. I mean, he's a good drummer. This is like... But like a bad person. But this... (laughs) (laughs) Which I mean, hold up. Works for Billy Corgan. Talented musician. Bad Bad person. person. There you go. That's that's his MO. But he's so... Such a good guitarist. (laughs) I'm Too bad he didn't get Lindsey Buckingham in here. Seeing a fucking pattern. I want a super group. And I'm just going to call it like a a doucher group. (laughs) And it's just going to be people like Tommy Lee... And Billy Corgan and Lindsey Buckingham. <laughs> Just the shittiest people. And you're like, Eric Clapton. <laughs> but like, I I just, this just sounds like Billy Corgan is on like the OK Cupid of like <laughs> musicians. And he's gone through like all the really good ones. Like the ones who message you immediately and you go on a date and it's great. But like, there's something wrong. Yeah, something it's, comes up eventually. It's him. It's, it's him. him. It's him. He's the something. And they're wrong. just like, you know, I just want to be friends. And you then I really need to spend time on myself. Yeah, I'm. I'm not really looking for a relationship right now. Yeah. So. Mm. 
so he's gone through all of the top tier. He's gone through all the second tier. He's gone through all the D list. He's gone through it like all. He's scraping wow. the bottom of the OK Cupid musicians barrel. Yeah, right now. Yeah, like at this point, Smashing Pumpkins is just the Billy Corgan show. Yeah, and that's and he's, not a show that anybody wants no, to work with. I mean, the albums were fine. I'm they're fine, I guess. I don't know. Nobody really talks about them because who cares anymore? Yeah, I don't even know their names. Like they were all on my Spotify when I was listening through their discography, and I actively stopped. Like I remember <laughs> when Oceana or whatever came, oh, out, yeah. came out in like 2011, 2012. And I listened to him like I almost fell asleep. I'm like, this is really boring. But like, when did he start dating Tilla Tequila? <laughs> That's got to be an interesting time in his life. Right? I, I, <laughs> I, I told you I had to omit things, and I'm sorry to say I had to omit Tila Tequila. I feel like that was like it had to have been like ten years ago at this point. Yeah, it was like the 2010s. Yeah, like the early 2010s when people still knew what her her name, what Tila Tequila was. Yeah, yeah, and like before she became like a hardcore Nazi, which was in the last five years, I think. So it it had to have been like. Close to 10 years ago. Guys, Billy Corgan dated Tilla Tequila. And Courtney. Like, not a great track record here. Mm-hmm. Anyway. And I remember. Also, Tila Tequila and Courtney Love dated Billy Corgan. Yeah. You're all to. Everything is terrible here. I I remember reading a quote from Billy Corgan who said that he had a bad marriage and then a series of seven bad girlfriends yes. after that. And I was like, "Who? who's the common denominator? It's you, Billy. Again, Loser. it's you. Loser. It's you. <laughs> Loser. God. He would never hear that wind <laughs> blow in his face. It was in 2016 where the sheep would come back to the fold or whatever that saying is. Yeah. Jimmy came back on, unsurprisingly, but in March that year, an estranged James Ehod joined them on stage to perform a few songs. And soon after, there were whispers of a full band reunion on the horizon. James and Jimmy were definite, but what of Darcy? Whispers in the dark. Darcy. (laughs) Where would she been this whole time anyway? Well, now I'll talk about Darcy. Having a good life? I don't know. No? No. Okay, your face says no. no. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with no. Yes and no. Okay, a lot of no. Uh, mm. Tell me. I think Homegirl had a lot of trauma to work through. Okay. Well, yeah. When you're in a band with Billy Corgan for that many years, when you're yeah. a woman in a band, period, with Billy Corgan, period, period. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, she had a rough time of it after leaving in 2000. See, she had been suffering from panic attacks and had around this time started a drug di- drug addiction to deal with her stress. She was arrested for possession of crack cocaine in 2001 and spent some time in rehab to deal with everything. Okay. So the early aughts were not kind to her. But honestly, who were they kind to? None of us. Exactly. So I'm going to let her have the pass. All right. She tried to pursue a movie career, but nothing ever came to fruition. So she ended up with a ranch and a butt ton of horses. Yeah. Which sounds lovely. That sounds great. I guess, though, apparently she got, like, either, like, arrested or had a huge fine or something because, like, her horses got loose and, like, they were like, hey, your horses got loose. And she's like, I'm sorry. It's not like I wanted (laughs) my horses to get loose. Yeah. She had some, like, legal trouble with her horses because they got loose once. But she. Sorry. They're smart. They can, like, 
do that. They can do <laughs> they can that. escape. They can just like jump over the fence. I don't know. Actually, they like take their hooves off and they have a hand <laughs> there and they just like lift off the fucking like they fucking gate. opposable thumb grip their way over the <laughs> fucking fence. That'd be terrifying. That is horrifying. Thank you for giving me nightmares. You're welcome. <laughs> She avoided being in the public eye and chose to avoid really interacting with anyone from the pumpkins aside from James. But now that a reunion was coming up, everyone was looking to her for answers. Finally, it was announced that she would not be coming back. And then it devolved into a big old fight between her and Billy. He claimed she was invited to come back, but she refused. And she said he never asked her. He would just have his managers call her up and wanted him. But she's like, no, I want him to ask me yeah like we were in a fucking band for like 12 fucking years there's no reason why he can't and personally ask yeah so like because she felt like just the fucking token girl in the band not actually there to create music just there for show yep they were actually in communication via text a lot and would end up in arguments after a while because again she's like he is talking to me but he would never straight out come and say hey will you please come back or will you please join us for a reunion or hey, it would mean a lot to me. I think the closest he came was like, fans don't want me, Darcy. They want you. Okay. But that's not an invitation. No. And that's the thing. She's like, grow a fucking pair and fucking tell me yourself. And I guess like when James went back, she's like, I'm proud of him, but I'm also a little disappointed, but whatever. That's his thing. And that, is that seems to be a thing with Billy is that he can talk a whole fucking bunch of shit to journalists yeah. and publications, oh, yeah. magazines, news, whatever. But when it comes to actually being relationship, to, being face to face with somebody and like confronting them or asking them to do something or asking them to come back, he cannot fucking handle it. Yeah, he can't do it. Yeah, because he's a fucking bitch. He's a little bit of a giant baby. Yeah, literally giant baby at this point a fully realized smashing pumpkins does not seem likely and i will say i just very much oversimplified everything that happened like you can go read the articles there's like 50 articles about billy and darcy going back and forth but i mean overall it just kind of seems like and i read this really good article i wish i kept it saved somewhere just basically like the fucking drama of being the token girl in a band. And I mean, we've talked about it again and again. You know, Talking Heads, New Order, Smashing Pumpkins. There's the one chick and they're always treated like... Oh, constantly sidelined. girl. Look, yeah. we have a girl. Like, they want... Like, all the men in the band want to be applauded for having a woman in the band. But they don't but want they their don't actual want- contributions. Exactly. And I'm like, can you not? Yeah. Can we finally fucking just have a band where a chick is not the lead, which is fine, but like celebrated for her contributions? Yeah. I think Sonic Youth is probably the only band where I feel like that happens. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's frustrating. So, yeah. Oversimplified. It's hard out here for a bitch. Yeah, it is. In the past few years, they have released two new albums, Shiny and Oh So Bright and Seer. The latter has taken a turn to synth pop, which is probably why I kind of like it more than anything else they've released since the original breakup. Mm-hmm. Like, Sears not terrible. It's very new wavy. Okay. And I like it. That's popular these days. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Ain't it? You know, it's funny because they do still keep making new music. 
But Billy Corgan loved to, like, make fun of, you know, bands like, I don't know, like, Poison or Guns N' Roses or whatever, like, saying, oh, these are just bands going out and doing, like, their best of tours or, like, Journey, you know, like, they're just touring and, like, playing their classics. We're never going to do that. But honestly, like, a lot of Smashing Pumpkin shows are, like... That's what people want. Yeah. And it's, like, there's nothing wrong with that. You're not better just because you keep making music that nobody's asking for. Right. Like... There is a reason why all of these bands keep going out on best of tours or do the same shit every year without releasing new material. It's because they know what their fans want Mm -hmm. and they cater to that and they make fucking bank off of it. And that's why he's like begging Darcy to come back. Yeah. Because he knows they'll make bank when they have if they have an original lineup. If they do a reunion tour. Oh, my God. Holy fuck. That will be like crazy. And it has been hinted that, like, one of the biggest reasons James probably came back was because it's like, hey, private school ain't cheap. And James is probably like, you right, though. Private school? Private school ain't cheap. Who's who's going to private school? Like, his kids. His kids? I don't know. I'm just... It's a joke. <laughs> Ashley, it's a, it's a joke. I didn't get it. I didn't it's follow. Like, like, when somebody goes back to, like... Do like or so like uh, like when an actor does a really shitty movie that like you were like there's no way they looked at this and didn't realize it was a shitty movie. It's just doing like a stupid thing that you know like you're gonna fucking hate, but you want the money. Yeah, yeah, that's that's all that. Okay. Anyway, I digress. <laughs> so back to Smashing Pumpkins. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't get no, it. It's okay. But anyway, yeah, Sierra's a fine album. All right, that's I my final. You. That's my final thought. It's fine. In addition to the original three boys, they've added, and actually they've kept on, Jeff Schroeder to the lineup on bass. And this recent album also sees a heavy use of backup vocals by Sierra Swan and Katie Cole. It ended up getting mixed reviews, but many praised its fresh experimentation, while actually a lot of other people kind of felt like it seemed like a solo album that he had, like, his friends on. That's pretty much every Smashing Pumpkins album at this point, isn't yeah. it? Like since since two thousand, yeah, pretty yeah. much. If I were to make a guess, I don't see this lasting. No, you know, I don't understand why he keeps trying to make a band happen when it's clearly just the Billy Show, and he should just do a solo album. But you know what I'm wondering too is like. Maybe Billy likes it. Perhaps the constant turmoil is his muse. Oh, I think he very much likes to control people. Yeah. Period. And I think that's what he gets off on. That's and what I makes think his that chub, inspires him. That's what makes his chub like just go flaccid. No, that's controlling people is what gets the chub going. <laughs> you know, I thought the chub was him learning. I don't know. You know what? We lost the chub metaphor a yeah. long time ago. I mean, really think about it. He's no stranger to ruffling everyone's feathers. Mm -hmm. So it's not impossible that he could be using this as creative inspiration. Oh, absolutely. He he lives for the drama. I'm just here for the drama. Yeah. That's Billy Corgan. Fucking Lola Lola from Big Big Mouth. Mouth. (laughs) It doesn't Lola Scumpy from fucking Big Mouth. Definitely. Is Billy Billy Corgan. Corgan. It doesn't really seem to matter, though. Let's be honest. After Melancholy, the Smashing Pumpkins are never going to reach that level of hype again. I mean, don't get it twisted. They don't really need to. Right. They've done exactly what they needed to do. They have made their mark in history. Like, honestly, they have at a point where you can do whatever the fuck you want. You will continue to make money on that shit. And 
now you've hit that point where it's like you can just have fun like who gives a fuck what the people think of your albums well i wish that billy would understand that like you don't have to try so hard with every single album right you can just release an album it can do okay and you will still be a fucking rich asshole like you you don't need to you you just don't need to try so hard yeah but it I just think doesn't it, need to be this big production. It doesn't need to be this big fanfare. No. It doesn't need to be any of that. Just like put out the music that you want to put out that feels good to you. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be smashing pumpkins even. You can just put it out under your own name and like that's fine. Yeah. Well, then he wouldn't be able to control anyone. Exactly. That's the thing. <laughs> He's a fucking psychopath or a sociopath. sociopath. I don't fucking know. Whatever. Narcissist. All of the above, and that's check all the, the boxes. That's the problem: is that he needs to control other people. He mm-hmm. needs to control other people to make his music, because that is what satisfies him. Yeah, that's fair. Look, at the end of the day, a band of four misfit kids came together for about a decade, despite all of the infighting and trauma, and made some fucking important music. Probably the most important, some of the most important music of our generation. During a time when they were expected to come out with a heavy grunge sound, they instead served up progressive and psychedelic rock for a modern day. Their music still touched a generation that was disillusioned by the state of the world they were living in, but less nihilistic than what their contemporaries were serving. In turn, they inspired so many to follow the footsteps of creativity and experimentation that they were putting down. To just like make so many amazing sounds in rock. From indie rock to punk to pop. Their influence is just, you can see it everywhere. If they want to keep on trying new things and Billy wants to keep fighting the world in pedantic fights, then that's fine. At this point, we have their first three albums that showcase a solid blueprint for many to follow or just appreciate. And after that, anything's just a bonus. If you like it, that's great. If you don't, that's fine too. Who gives a shit? I love... I love Adore, mm-hmm. but I also understand, like, Gish, Siamese Dream, and Melancholy, those are the three that, like, the cement. The trifecta. Of- it's the trifecta of the pumpkins. Pumpkin-fecta. <laughs> it That's sounds it. like a disease, but okay. It is. Don't get it. You'll rot. I already have it, because it's October. Yes, it so. is October. But yeah, that's the story of Smashing Pumpkins thus far. I don't know what the fuck's gonna happen from now on, but... I don't care. I have a feeling all of it is going to be overshadowed by a picture of Billy Corgan unhappy at Disney World. I love that. I actually really like looking at their picture on their Spotify and like Billy is just like he's got that weird five o'clock shadow going on. Oh, and a hat. oh remember when he grew a beard and it was so bad. Oof, it was real bad. Oh, that was so bad. I know. I hate that like this always will divul- divul- devolve devolve. Thank you, into just shit talking Billy Corgan. But yeah. like, how can I how else do you want us to proceed? I kind of feel like he puts out well, he did put out really good music and um his personality was such an antithesis of that. Yeah. That it is okay to shit on his garbage personality. Oh, I don't have any problem his, shitting on him. Because his talent is so great. I just I don't I just I just rather would focus more on like Jimmy, James and Darcy, but man, Absolutely. Billy steals the goddamn spotlight in every sense. Oh, I think he did that on purpose. What? 
No. Never. He's not an egomaniac at no. all. And I mean, yeah, like Jimmy, I think I think Jimmy, James, and Darcy are all very underrated in there. Oh, very much. Maybe not Jimmy so much. I think a lot of people realize he is an amazingly talented drummer. But I think because of Billy, James and Darcy kind of got like shoved to the background. I think Darcy more so than anybody else. Oh, well, yeah. But I, you know, James to an extent too. Yeah. Definitely. But at least James got to be in a perfect circle. So I don't know. At least there's that. I will forever have the Freddy wears pants. Freddy's got pants <laughs> got memory of him, which is really my favorite James Eha moment. And that's all you need. That's all I need. That's all you need. Well, we hope you kids enjoyed that story. Learned a lot. This was a long fucking episode. It's going to be a bitch to edit tomorrow. So but sorry. Here we are. I mean, it was my fault. These were a lot of notes. <laughs> and I know, and I'm sure there are some big hardcore Smashing Pumpkins fans out there that are going to be like, you missed X, Y, and Z, and I'm very sorry. I didn't want to make this a two-parter. Yeah. There's so much. They do have a very deep, rich history. Yeah. But really, only the first four albums matter. Fight me. Honestly. Let's be real. Machina one's fine, actually. I'm I'm okay with that one. I only like it because Melissa Alfdermar is in it. No, she's not. It actually is still Fuck, Darcy. She's, she no, but it's still Darcy. She is in the video for... She is in the video for... Everlasting gaze, yes. I think. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, that's it. That's the one where Billy's wearing that very long, plasticky-looking trench coat. Yes. And he's yelling at the it's camera. It's like a weird, like, like bluish hue yeah, to it. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Blue green. Yeah. Teal. It's teal. Sure. Yeah. No, actually, Darcy was credited for Machina One. So. I apologize. But you know what? You can still like it because Darcy's on it, or something. I don't know. I really like a lot of their songs, cu- like half the songs on it. Okay. Yeah, there you go. I don't know. Anyway, mm-hmm. here's Wonderwall. <laughs> Thank you all so much for listening. We love you and appreciate you. So, you know, hope you guys enjoyed this not-so-spoopy tale. It was really just fitting for October because Pumpkin. We've been meaning to do it for a long time. And we've been meaning to do it, honestly. Yeah. So, hope it was informative. If you are picking up what we're putting down and enjoying what we got, you can always visit our website, rockcandypodcast.com. We got social media links. We have an email in case you want to reach out for questions, comments, concerns. And you can also get a link to our Tee Public store where you can buy our merch. We got swag, swag, swag. Maybe you need a hoodie because it's getting cold. We got those. Yeah. So go slide on over to that. And I have to say, we've been getting some very nice emails lately. Yes. Thank you, everyone who's been reaching out. Thank you guys so much. Very nice emails. And I am very happy to be receiving them. Yeah. And And responding to them. (laughs) Having conversations with lovely fucking humans. Y'all been grand. Like, you've really, like pumped us up honestly we need that smell to get through the day shit's been tough lately seriously honestly but also if you get a hair up your ass you can send us a nice review on apple Podcasts. wait if they have a hair up their ass wouldn't they give us a negative review i just thought that meant that no you know what (sighs) private school ain't cheap Just leave us a nice review, okay? You know what? We like hearing nice things. Nice emails, nice reviews. It's hard out here for a bitch. Yeah. And we like it. I'm just... No, we don't like how hard it is. exhausted me. I'm done. Yo, I've been doing this fucking story for two months, so I don't want to hear it. (laughs) Finally can wipe my hands clean. Uh, I never need to talk about Billy Corgan ever again. I feel like we're gonna...
Why? Because he's going to do some shit. Okay. Oh, well, you know what? We have next week to look forward to. Oh, God. Oh, God. I can't (laughs) wait. This one's been a long time coming. We've been asked about it by multiple people. Yeah. And um, we've avoided it because it's a (laughs) band we do not like. Hold on. I... Oh, do you? I don't know. No, you don't. I, you're just telling me what I like. You don't like them. I like some of the... You know what? We'll get into it next week. <laughs> we'll get into it. I don't hate them with the ferocity that you do. I fucking hate this band, and I cannot wait to talk to about, about them, so I'm excited. All right. Well, get pumped, kids, because that's coming <laughs> on your ears next week. But uh, until then, party on, Ashley. Oh, party on. <laughs> party on you crazy kids out there <sighs>